You grew up knowing you could do anything. As a soldier in the U.S. Army, you'll test your limits and feel the pride of doing things you never thought possible. With guaranteed training in one of more than 150 career fields, up to $40,000 cash enlistment bonus, you'll earn a steady paycheck, get money for college, and gain valuable experience while you learn how to be a valued team leader. To find out more, call your local Army recruiter or visit us at GoArmy.com. There's strong, and then there's Army strong. Hello, I'm Rob Beckley, lead singer of the band Pillar. I served in the Army Reserve for eight years, and it taught me lessons in teamwork, leadership, and organizational skills that I still use today. Serving part-time in the Army Reserve also offers skill training, money for college, and bonuses up to $20,000. So if you're up to the challenge, talk to your local Army Reserve recruiter today, or check us out online at GoArmyReserve.com. You too can be Army strong in the Army Reserve. My name is Bobby. I'm a veteran and lost my leg to a roadside bomb. My victory was going from a wheelchair to becoming a weightlifting champion. I'm Sam. I'm a veteran. My victory was finding a career that I could be proud of. At DAV, we're on a mission, helping veterans of all generations get the benefits they've earned. I'm Cece. My victory was finishing my education. When America's veterans win, we all win. Help us support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. Now, from the cheap seats with Chris DeLambert and Brandon Atkins. Welcome to the cheap seats, everybody. I'm Chris DeLambert, Brandon Atkins as always, Diamond Dave Kaplan's in the house, and we've got a special guest, the voice of the Carolina Tar Heels, Jones Angel. Thanks for coming by. As soon as I heard that Diamond David Kaplan was (laughs) going to be here, I said, I too have to be there. So I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to hear from Diamond Dave and uh, looking forward to talking to you guys. We knew at some point there'd be some redeeming value other than the (laughs) the golf insight that Dave brings to the table. So So that golf insight's just not enough for you. Got to work harder, bro. Okay. Got to work harder. I do have to say before we get started, I know Brandon's like a little kid. Yeah. He's like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And then you walk in with the Carolina Brew embroidered shirt. And it, be careful, because if that fits, he might take it. I'm going to tell you something. I think he's safe. I do not have any shirt left. I think I have about three that I always wear during the summertime because the rest of my shirts have the NC logo <laughs> on there. They're either white, navy blue, or Carolina blue, and that's about all I have at this point. So I do have two or three other ones, but I thought I'd fly the flag here yeah. today with the NC. Diamond Dave's rocking his Carolina yeah. blue tie. I, I have no idea what you were thinking about, Brandon, when you got out of bed this morning because every other day of the month, You've worn something Carolina blue, and I'm checking socks, something. What do you have, blue drawers on? Is that what's going on? It's definitely his underwear. Yeah, it is. It is. God, Dave, you're good. (laughs) So, you know, I think you've been on the job how long at at UNC? Wow. Um, So this was my sixth year as the play-by-play guy. Um, Of course, Woody Durham uh, was the 40-year voice of the Tar Heels and retired after the 2011 season. Um, For six years prior to that, I was handling our pregame, halftime, postgame stuff for football and basketball. And then even before that, for a long time, I'd been doing different things with our network. I started um, interning with our network when I was in school. So around 
1999, 2000, 2001, right in that time period, you know, I started helping out, just kind of doing whatever I could. Um, had the opportunity to get on the air some. I did women's soccer on the internet for our first ever internet only broadcast. I did women's basketball for two years. I'd kind of fill in and do scoreboard stuff for our, our men's basketball and football games. Um, did our baseball for, for nine or ten years as well. So I, I had the opportunity to, to do a lot of different things. So I've been around for, for a while now, but this was my sixth year handling the the play-by-play for football and basketball. So basically the, the relationship with UNC goes all the way back to when you were a student there. Oh, sure. Well, my relationship relationship with UNC goes farther back than that or further back than that just because I've always loved the Tar Heels. I mean, you know, my mom went to Carolina, my dad did, my sister did, my wife did, my brother-in-law did. So, I mean, we, we have a very strong Tar Heel family. And, you know, my dad and I would always when I was growing up, we would listen to the Tar Heels, you know, turn down the sound on the TV. It's harder to do now because of the delay, but we'd turn the sound down on the TV and listen to Woody and Mick call the games, and you know, I loved it. And then we'd go up and watch a couple games a year in Chapel Hill. We we were uh, I was grew up down in Jacksonville, about two hours away, um, but we just loved the Tar Heels. And so um, when I got the opportunity, not only to go to school there, but then uh, a chance to work with Woody and with Mick, that was that was a dream come true for me. Just Jones, uh, all that sounds great, but did you ever get the opportunity, the privilege to call one of Dave's intramural sports? <laughs> he was on the team. I was oh, on, on the team. team. Oh, we, right. we had a dynasty, yeah. man. Hold on, we, you we, weren't we, the guy who couldn't swim in the No, that was energy. Johnny Land. Okay. Yeah. Just checking. <laughs> no, we uh, we participated in just about everything. We were best at softball, though, right? right. I softball mean, was our that we, was our, we won that was the, our uh, campus championship one year. And I think we lost in the final the year before. Yep. So how so, did you get snubbed when he was the intramural player of the year or something like that? How did that go down? Yeah, I'm looking at the two of you. Yeah. You're obviously the more athletic looking. <laughs> and, you know, Dave's an effort guy. Yeah, He's oh, a Dave, glue guy. He's a hustle guy. Yeah. yeah. You know, we all felt <laughs> sorry for David. On the, we just <laughs> yeah. felt sorry for David, so we let him think that he won that gotcha. award. Right. No, so here's the true story. My backpack was falling apart, my book my book bag, and uh, the the – male athlete of the year gets a free book bag so they knew and we had an inside uh, actually one of jones's old roommates matt rivenbark was he was part of the rec department and he said you know dave we need somebody from the crazy mules and and dave needs a new backpack so let's just he plays about everything let's just give it to him and that's probably pretty accurate i like that now were you guys roommates in college kind of sort of for a little bit okay which one was the which one was the messy roommate Neither one of us. Really? Oh, yeah. There were plenty of those, but (laughs) not one of us. Yeah. We had a house uh, in northern Chatham County that I guess is still standing. (laughs) If it is, who knows what kind of health code violations And uh, there was 20 guys that ran through that thing over the years. I I was there only for a short time because I had graduated and uh, when the house was rented out, but Gotcha. Now, now, Jones, you grew up in a military family, is that correct? I did. Um, I was born here in Sanford. Uh, my dad was in the Marine Corps and was stationed in Okinawa at the time. And my mom grew up in Sanford. And so when uh, she was pregnant with me and they found out dad had to go to Okinawa, she didn't want to have a baby overseas. And so she moved in with back in with her mom. Um, and so I was born here. Dad came back, uh, you know, when I was 
three, four, five, six months old, something like that. And we moved to Philadelphia for a couple of years and then down to Jacksonville, as I mentioned earlier, where Camp Lejeune is. And Camp Lejeune's the second largest Marine Corps base in the country, largest on the East Coast. And so um, actually we ended up staying there. My parents had moved around a ton before that, but um, we ended up staying there. In fact, my parents still live down there. And so, um, but a a military family, uh, but fortunately for me, I didn't have a whole lot of jumping around because at that point in my dad's career, he was, he was pretty settled in what he was doing. Got it. I have this vision of you as a kid, you know, all of us played in the backyard and, you know, threw the football around, but I have you I have this vision of you doing play by play, you know, with <laughs> yeah. a bunch of six year olds playing flag football and you're, you know, running down the field and just calling it. Is this something you always wanted to do? Or well, what? I think everybody probably does the, you know, angel for the win for three, you know, and I mean, <laughs> everybody's going to do that when they grow up. And, you know, it wasn't something that I absolutely knew I wanted to do. But I ended up being able to combine a couple things that I really enjoyed and that I've always enjoyed athletics. I've enjoyed being around it. I just wasn't good enough to play at any kind of significant level. And so, um, but I wanted to stay around athletics. And I understood as time went on, you know, I used to do some theater stuff. And so, I mean, I knew that I was comfortable in front of crowds and yep. um, that, that that part of it didn't bother me or make me nervous or anything like that. And so um, I was able to then, after working, like I talked about with the network for a while and, and learning from you know, two guys who have reached an incredible level of success in our business. You know, Woody, who is one of the greatest college play-by-play men, if not the greatest of all time. And, and then you have Mick Mixon, of course, who's now the play-by-play voice of the, of the Panthers. And in fact, I talked to Mick on the phone just a little bit ago today. Um, you know, so to get to learn from both of those guys about this particular craft was very helpful for me. And so I was kind of able to marry all of those things together uh, with this profession. Um, and, and I don't, I don't try to shy away from this. I mean, I got lucky as far as the timing of when Woody retired. Um, You know, I had established myself enough at that point to be able to be a legitimate contender for the job. Um, Carolina is a place where Tar Heel ties matter. Having a history with the Tar Heels does matter. Um, And I think that fans were at least comfortable isn't the right word, but at least recognized me enough that at the beginning they were willing to give me a chance um, with what we were doing. And so um, when you put all those things together, I think it's kind of how it all came about. That's awesome. Quick question. We know Diamond Diamond Dave, that's his nickname. Did you ever have a nickname, sports nicknaming? In school? I don't think so. If you don't have one, I I have an idea if you don't. I'm ready. I need one. Jones Angel of Death. Oh, come on. How about that? I like it. It's pretty aggressive. Like it. it is. That's yeah. a little. That, that's a uh, little okay. extreme, man. We well, work on that, and we'll I'll, get back to the I'll, next one. But hey, speaking of names, your first first name's not Jones, right? No. Yes. Yeah, so I get asked this all the time if I oh, created question, my <laughs> if I created my name for radio because obviously my name is not a traditional um, traditional name. But so my full name is Monroe V is my first name. Awesome name. M-O-N-R-O-V-I-E. And then Jones is my middle name. Um, and then Angel and I'm the fourth. Um, my dad goes by Roe V. His dad went by Monroe V. And so, I mean, it's a 
it's a family name. Now, I do have a son, and we did not go to the fifth. We went ahead and stopped that bad boy at the fourth. <laughs> oh, okay. But um, so did, I, that, did that get you disinvited from Thanksgiving or anything? <laughs> no, every, everybody was okay with it. I can but, see everybody pulling up. Here comes Monrovi. Here's Rovi. Here's Joe. That's it. <laughs> and here's, oh, uh, what's his name? Um, but, you know, it's uh, – so – it's a little bit of a different and unique name. I can't tell you how many times I've been called Angel Jones in my life. It, it happens all the time because oh, yeah. people just assume that it's backwards on the form or whatever. Gotcha. And it's always enjoyable when you're some doctor's office, dentist's office, even grown up in school or whatever, when, when they had to go by your first name and they were trying to figure out Monrovi and how to say it. And it, that was always a nice little adventure for me. It is a cool name, though. And, right? Monrovi. <laughs> I would have had you can't go wrong, Monrovi, Jones. Ain't, <laughs> That's right. I mean, you it's a win-win situation Bam. for me. <laughs> now, talking about win-win situations, you talked about having worked with Mick, Mick Mixon and Woody Durham. Mm-hmm. And when Woody announced that he was retired, there was a nationwide search. What was the what, when when that began? Did you think it could be a real thing? Yes, um, just because. Near the end of Woody's career, you know, I had been traveling with with both sports, so I I knew the coaches, I knew the people kind of around the job that that Woody was doing. And I also was, and I don't mean this in any kind of negative way towards Woody, I I was running a lot of the broadcast as far as the production work, the pregame, halftime, postgame, just all that kind of stuff, just because Woody was, you know, in his 40th year and didn't want to mess with that stuff anymore. (laughs) I was going to say, Woody wouldn't about touch it. Yeah, and and so y'all just be glad I'm here. I do a a lot of that here. (laughs) Sure. So you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. No, but I mean, so at some point you reach a level of your career where you don't want to mess with that, which is totally understandable. But so I really felt like I knew our broadcast um, due to my history, both with the network and with the school and with the athletic department and our coaches. um, I felt like I understood the culture better than anybody that they were going to bring in from the outside. Um, And I have a great working relationship with all the guys who were on our broadcast. So Eric Montross, uh, our analyst for basketball. At the time, it was Rick Steinbacher, um, our analyst for football. So just, uh, you know, all those things, uh, I think, gave me the opportunity and gave me that inroad early on. All right, very good. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. You grew up knowing you could do anything. As a soldier in the U.S. Army, you'll test your limits and feel the pride of doing things you never thought possible. With guaranteed training in one of more than 150 career fields, up to $40,000 cash enlistment bonus, you'll earn a steady paycheck, get money for college, and gain valuable experience while you learn how to be a valued team leader. To find out more, call your local Army recruiter or visit us at GoArmy.com. There's strong, and then there's Army strong. The V Foundation and board member Robin Roberts are dedicated to declaring victory over cancer by funding cutting-edge research. Jim Valvano's greatest legacy is the V Foundation. You can help join the fight, give the gift of time. We need passion, we need teamwork and momentum. The time to act is now. There's not a moment to lose. Every dollar counts. Every day counts. To find out how you can join us to defeat cancer, please visit JimmyV.org. My name is Bobby. I'm a veteran and lost my leg to a roadside bomb. My victory was going from a wheelchair to becoming a weightlifting champion. I'm Sam. I'm a veteran. My victory was finding a career that I could be proud of. 
At DAV, we're on a mission, helping veterans of all generations get the benefits they've earned. I'm Cece. My victory was finishing my education. When America's veterans win, we all win. Help us support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. Welcome back to From the Cheap Seats. Welcome back to From the Cheap Seats. With us today is Jones Angel. Appreciate you hanging out, man. Oh, man, I'm excited. We had not talked about anything exciting yet, though. We're talking about me. How boring is that? Let's talk about some Tar Heels, man. Yeah, let's, let's do, do that. Before we get into the teams themselves, I do have to ask, what's your favorite anecdote about Woody? You've got to have a story in Oh, sure. You know, I think the thing that always impressed me the most about Woody was his work ethic and his dedication to his preparation for his craft. Because I think at some point, Woody could have just said, you know what, I'm Woody Durham. I'm just going to roll up there in the game, do what I want to do. People are going to love it because I'm so established, and I'm just going to do my thing. That's how I come into the show. Yeah, I assume that's yeah. That's how we all handle work. But so, <laughs> you know, Woody was such, such a hard worker. And he was so prepared for every broadcast. And that was the same for the last game he did compared to the first game he ever did. Um, And I remember the first time that I sat next to him, I was relatively young at that point. And, you know, I had been doing some baseball and women's basketball. And, yeah, I thought I had it all figured out, dude, right? And so I'm going into this football broadcast. We were playing Georgia Tech down in Atlanta. And I decided that the best way to approach my position was to prepare like I was going to do the play-by-play. Because I knew eventually I wanted to do it, whether it was at Carolina or somewhere else, I knew that's what I wanted to do. And so I kind of, you know, I got all my stuff prepared and um, I go into the game and I sit down and I look at what Woody had in front of him and it absolutely blew my mind. It blew my mind the amount of work that he had done in the week leading up to the game, the statistical information, the biographical information, the relevant notes, the stuff he had from the coaches that he had talked, just all these different pieces of information that he had in front of him. And what I have since learned is that, you know, not only do you have to do that for every game, you barely use any of it. You use about 10%, 5% of what you get ready for. But as Woody used to say, and I agree with, you never know what 5 or 10% it's going to be. And then finally, not only do you have to do the work, but you have to have a system that works for you so that you can find that information quickly when you need it. It doesn't do you any good right. to have a great note or a great stat or something that you think can really be an asset to what's happening in the game, but you're sitting there going, um, uh, well, uh, and, you, and you can't find it. That <laughs> does you no we've good. We've never done that before. <laughs> and so uh, learning that from him, I think, is the most valuable thing I have ever learned in broadcasting, is to do your preparation, do your work to this extraordinarily high level, but also have a system to understand and find that information quickly. I'll, I'll forever be indebted to him for, for learning that. You know, one of the things I wanted to ask you, all your counterparts out there who are on the job with their sure. school for years and years and years and years don't get to go to a national championship. You go to back-to-back national championships with the basketball team. 
do you kind of have a feel? Are you in the moment? Are you realizing? And I know Carolina has a winning history, but are you realizing how special that is? Like to be a part of that? Yeah, I think you you have to appreciate it some, or you're not you're not enjoying what you're doing. I guess if that makes sense. I mean, sure. I fully understand that. To me, Carolina is the best college job in the country. I'm sure there's some other places that can make that argument, but that list is pretty short. I think sure. you could probably name five or seven schools that feel that way, um, and Carolina is certainly in that conversation. And the reason it is is because, number one, you're covering teams that win at a very high level. Um, you're covering 99% of the time uh, players that are good guys that you enjoy being around that do things the right way and then number three there's there's a lot of interest in what you're doing and so when you're able to to kind of have all of that together is when i think you have a very special place and to be able to go to the football championship game two seasons ago to go to the final four back-to-back years the championship game back-to-back years to win it this season that kind of stuff doesn't happen all the time at other places. Right. But it does at Carolina. You go to championship games, you go to Final Fours, you have these unbelievable opportunities. You play in the Maui Invitational. I mean, you get to do all this really neat stuff. And that's that's just because of the power of Carolina and Carolina basketball and Carolina football. And to be loosely associated with that is is incredible. So as we move out of this national championship team, the the do we have to? Can we just hold on to (laughs) it forever? The the specter of probation is looming. Sure, Um, a little bit of a bloodletting with the underclassmen leaving this year. Tony Bradley was unexpected. Justin Jackson will be missed. What are we going to see from Carolina in in seventeen eighteen? Well, I think both football and basketball next year are going to be in a little bit of a transition season. Um, you know, football lost 90% of its offensive production. When you're losing your starting quarterback who goes number two overall in the draft, you lose your top three running backs, you lose your top three receivers, and you lose three starters on the offensive line, that's, you don't just magically fix all of that like like that. So uh, there will be some challenges, I think, offensively early for Carolina football next year. They do have uh, the kid from LSU, Brandon Harris, coming in as a graduate transfer at the QB spot, which I do think will help. Um, but that will be, I think, a challenge early on. And then from the basketball side of things, you know, the, the, the best news I can tell you is that Joel Berry is returning for the Tar Heels. Yeah. Joel Berry is an extraordinarily talented player. Um, he was voted by his teammates as the captain of the national championship team. He's just a tough dude. And as he kind of sets the tone for how Carolina plays. And so to have him back, I think, is extraordinarily valuable. And, of course, the Heels have a big recruiting class coming in, uh, five freshmen plus the transfer from Pittsburgh and Cameron Johnson, who will be eligible right away, um, and some nice people is around those other guys returning, Luke May, um, Theo Pinson, Seventh Woods, Brandon Robinson. Um, so there are some guys returning as well, but I think it's reasonable to expect a little bit of a transition time next season for Carolina as those guys get used to playing with each other. And Carolina's going to have to play differently next yeah. year because they do not have 
the experienced size that they normally have. I mean, that was why one of the reasons why they were so good these last couple of years is they just dominated teams on the glass, and um, that will be more of a challenge next season. So does that mean they run even more this upcoming season? I don't know if they run even more, but I would expect them to maybe play just a little more perimeter-oriented because okay. it makes sense. I mean, your best players, at least on paper right now, are Jill Berry and Theo Pinson and Cam Johnson from Pitt. Uh, you know, those are your most experienced, most accomplished guys right now. Even Luke May, you know, Luke is a, a forward, but is not a post you up, down low. I right. mean, he can do that, but that's not the strength of his game. And so um, I would expect Carolina to be more perimeter oriented than they have been in the past. Um, but here's the Here's the I want I told you the best news was Joel Berry returning. That's actually one B. One A of the best news I can tell you is that Roy Williams is still their head coach. Yeah, and so you're talking about one of the greatest head coaches in the history of college basketball. He is going to find a way. It may not happen on November 15th, but he, by the end of the year, as Carolina always does, will be playing its best basketball. He will have found a way to make sure that those guys are fitting together as best they can, and uh, they'll be competing for NCAA tournament and, and trying to move on to another Final Four. How, no. how much of the void that Justin Jackson leaves can – because I think Cameron Johnson is a similar player. Yes. Good outside shooter. How much can he, can he fill? It's a good question, Dave, and I do think that Cameron Johnson and Justin Jackson are similar type of players, although Justin, I think, does two things that will be hard to replicate. Number one is he, of course, had that terrific kind of floater where he'd get in the lane and um, could make that shot under really in difficult situations. That's not a normal shot for somebody. He made one against, I think it was Oregon, in the final four was where he, he was going to the baseline on the right. I mean, it was just – it an incredibly difficult shot that he makes looks easy. Um, but also, and I don't think Justin got enough credit for this, and this is where Cam Johnson, I think, and he said this, needs to improve. Justin Jackson, by the end of the season, was a big-time defender. Big yes. time. I mean, he, he is one of the reasons, one of the biggest reasons Carolina won that game against Kentucky in the NCAA tournament was his defense on Malik Monk. He did a terrific job against Dylan Brooks in the Final Four game, did a terrific job against Nigel Williams-Goss from Gonzaga in the championship game. And so Carolina will need Cam Johnson to be more than just a spot-up shooter if he is going to fill the role that Justin Jackson had. Right. Because while Justin, the most noticeable thing was that his three-point shooting got so much better. But he did a lot more than just right. that. You know, my favorite part of that Kentucky game was when Stillman White came in, and you could see Fox just licking his lips, and then Fox picks up two quick fouls. I think my favorite part was when Luke May made that shot at the oh, end. Yeah. <laughs> but I did also enjoy that play. And Stillman White's a good player. You know, good. Is, and man. Roy Williams has said um, – he told Stillman this, and he said it multiple times in press conferences, said it at the end of the uh, end of season banquet. He said, Stillman, you should have played more. He said, it was, I should have put you in the game more than I did. Um, because while Stillman is not De'Aaron Fox, he is not Joel Berry, um, but he was a very solid college basketball player. Could make a jump shot, could run the team, didn't turn the ball over, and he gave Carolina some big minutes at he different did. times. To, to pivot out of basketball for a second, we've sure. got a few minutes left. But Man, I, I we wanna, go all day. I don't have anywhere else to go. go. All right. We can, we can work that out. <laughs> Good question, I want to know, last year you talked about 90% of, of the offense sure. in Carolina rolling out. When we come back out of the break, I want you to tell the world, Mitch Trubisky came from under the radar 
all the way to the second pick yeah. in the draft in a year, essentially. I still can't believe that. It's but. Mitchell, by the way. Mitchell. Yeah, Mitchell. my fault. $29 million he has now. When we come at, when we come back from the break, I want you to, for the folks in Chicago, reassure them and tell them things <laughs> they don't know about Mitchell Trubisky so they feel a little bit better about him being taken at two. I'll be ready. All right. All right. You're listening to From the Cheap Seats with Chris Lambert, Brandon Atkins, Diamond Dave Kaplan, and Jones Angel has been nice enough to grace us with his presence. We're having fun. We'll be back for another segment right after the break. You're listening to Krista Lambert and Brandon Atkins. You might not love your seats, but you'll love the show. When I was just a tiny baby, I was stolen from my parents. I was imprisoned in a cramped cage and was touched and photographed completely against my will, solely for somebody's profit. Then I started to grow bigger, and they locked me away for life. If you knew that was the life of a tiger cub, would you still pay to pet her? Learn how they're exploited through petting and photo ops at cubabuse.com. Hello, I'm Rob Beckley, lead singer of the band Pillar. I served in the Army Reserve for eight years, and it taught me lessons in teamwork, leadership, and organizational skills that I still use today. Serving part-time in the Army Reserve also offers skill training, money for college, and bonuses up to $20,000. So if you're up to the challenge, talk to your local Army Reserve recruiter today or check us out online at GoArmyReserve.com. You too can be Army strong in the Army Reserve. Everyone deserves a decent place to live. Everyone. Decent shelter is something we all need to thrive. Through shelter, we empower. Visit Habitat.org to donate today. You grew up knowing you could do anything. As a soldier in the U.S. Army, you'll test your limits and feel the pride of doing things you never thought possible. With guaranteed training in one of more than 150 career fields, up to $40,000 cash enlistment bonus, you'll earn a steady paycheck, get money for college, and gain valuable experience while you learn how to be a valued team leader. To find out more, call your local Army recruiter or visit us at GoArmy.com. There's strong, and then there's Army strong. Hello, I'm Rob Beckley, lead singer of the band Pillar. I served in the Army Reserve for eight years, and it taught me lessons in teamwork, leadership, and organizational skills that I still use today. Serving part-time in the Army Reserve also offers skill training, money for college, and bonuses up to $20,000. So if you're up to the challenge, talk to your local Army Reserve recruiter today or check us out online at GoArmyReserve.com. You too can be Army strong in the Army Reserve. My name is Bobby. I'm a veteran and lost my leg to a roadside bomb. My victory was going from a wheelchair to becoming a weightlifting champion. I'm Sam. I'm a veteran. My victory was finding a career that I could be proud of. At DAV, we're on a mission, helping veterans of all generations get the benefits they've earned. I'm Cece. My victory was finishing my education. When America's veterans win, we all win. Help us support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. Now, from the cheap seats with Chris DeLambert and Brandon Atkins. 
Welcome back to From the Cheap Seats, everybody. Jones Angels in the house. And before we went to break, we talked a little bit about Mitch, Mitchell Trubisky. I'm sorry. I'm, a, I I'm think a, he's upset his mom. Mitch now. I think he's okay with either. Okay. Don't apologize. Because mom put her foot down at yeah. one point. Don't apologize to me, but apologize to Mitchell. Yep. I think he's okay <laughs> sorry, with either. Mitchell. Well, 29 million bucks, I'd be okay with Yeah, that's right. You call care. me whatever, too. Well, here's here's the thing: is not often do you see a quarterback make such a meteoric rise, you know, from nowhere, mm-hmm. uh, you know, out of obscurity. And there's been questions about how NFL ready he is, whether he's a product of the system, mm-hmm. and all the rest of that. Athletically, I don't think there's any question that he can make all the throws. Sure. He run, he even showed as down the stretch he can run a little bit with the football. So he's an athletic guy. What's your take on? young Mitchell Trubisky and what his future holds in the in the NFL well number one Chicago got a first class person um Mitch Trubisky is somebody that will represent their franchise in the right way he's not going to embarrass them with any silly stuff away from the field he's gonna put in the work to be as as quality of a player as he can be he'll be active in the community all those things now all that's great but if he's three and 20 as a starter then nobody cares but he will number one take care of his business in that regard um number two i think he is i would be surprised if he stepped in in year one and was a top-level NFL quarterback, simply because he hasn't played that much. Um, I think that's a positive and a negative for him because not having played that much means you've got a lot of miles left on those tires. And um, he hasn't taken a bunch of hits, you know, just all those kind of things. But I think he needs the physical reps to be as good as he can be. Now, as you referenced, he has every physical tool you can want. He can make every single throw. He thinks the game. He is a very strong presence in the huddle. He'll take care of that part. Um, he can run. He's not a. He's not somebody who you wanted to. Not Cam Newton. He's not. You're not going to design yeah. it around him running. But he can move in the pocket. He can get away from pressure. Um, he can do everything you need a quarterback to do the only thing he needs right now is the reps so i think by year two year three and it's gonna have to happen by then because at that point the bears i mean that's just life in the nfl if it's not happening they're going to be ready to move on right but i think by year two or three um mr trubisky can be one of the top quarterbacks in the league he has that ability physically and has the mental makeup to do it all right. Well, coming in, his replacement this year is one of the big question marks around Chapel Hill and the rest of Tar Heel Nation. Is this – I don't know how candid you can be. Is this Brandon Harris's job to lose? I think he will have a little bit of a leg up when fall practice begins simply because he's done it before at a high level. He's been in big-time games before, but that doesn't mean they are ready just to hand the football to him. I think he still has to prove that he can grasp what Carolina's trying to do offensively and that he can run this team from that position. And there's some talented guys behind him. They're just extraordinarily young. I mean, Nathan Elliott is going to be a redshirt sophomore who – 
played a couple of snaps in mop-up duty last year. Chaz Surratt, an incredibly talented guy, um, but is a redshirt freshman. Logan Bird, a redshirt freshman. These guys have never taken a live snap in a college football game. Um, and so I do think that simply because of Harris's experience, he will have a leg up early. Now, whether he can keep that advantage or these guys catch him, that answer is not known yet. I think we'll find that out as Carolina goes through August and they get ready for the season opener against California. My also, my guess also is that you'll probably see multiple guys at least early in the year. You know, maybe try out a couple different guys there that position just to see um, who's the best fit. And for folks who are out there who don't understand who we're talking about with this graduate transfer, Brandon Harris. A graduate transfer from LSU yep. uh, was the full-time starter for just about an entire season there, and it seemed he's a dual-threat guy. Um, and it was it was ball security issues that cost him his job, and he just could never get back into the rotation there with the Tigers. You know what I think is interesting is, and I haven't seen Brandon Harrison person one time. Um, I haven't seen him yet, so I don't know this for a fact. But seeing some of his previous footage. Um, Carolina has been very successful in the past with a mobile quarterback who had a little bit of ball security issues as far as his accuracy throwing the ball in Marquise Williams. They used Marquise Williams so effectively, and he was able to blossom so effectively in Larry Fedora's offense because he was such a dynamic runner that that was always such a threat for the opposition that that allowed him a little more time because the other team had to worry about him running. That allowed him some time to grow as a passer, and he got a lot better in that regard. Um, So if Brandon Harris can have a similar impact to how Marquise Williams performed at that quarterback spot, man, I think the Tar Heels would be jumping for joy Um, because this is just a one-year deal. I mean, he only has one-year eligibility left. Um, They have those three young guys they've uh, signed, or they have two really highly rated quarterbacks uh, committed as well. Um, but this year, I do think Brandon Harris will get the first shot, as we mentioned, have that leg up. And, and if he can use that athleticism to his advantage, that's a big deal. Who, could, right. um, who could win an arm wrestling, you or Larry Fedora? <laughs> do I get to use one arm or two <laughs> arms when I'm against him? We'll give you two arms. You know what's unbelievable? Larry Fedora's in his early to mid-50s. And that dude is as ripped as a lot of 25-year-olds. I mean, I remember uh, a couple of summers ago or springs ago, we were out on the Tar Heel Tour, which is our Rams Club thing where we go to multiple places and everybody speaks. And he was, he was furious that he couldn't get his body fat down to a single digit. He couldn't get it down to 9%. And he was 51 years old at the time. And he was at 10.2% or something like that. And the nutritionist he was working with was like, Coach, you're 52. That's You're not going to get it down to 9%. And he was, he was so mad that he couldn't do it. Oh, He's in, in it's incredible shape. Now, a couple years ago, and, and sort of the, the running fear, I think, with a lot of Carolina football fans was that one of the – you know, traditional powerhouses was going to swoop in and make Larry an offer right. he couldn't refuse. Mm-hmm. You're close. You're as close to the program as anybody. Is Larry Fedora going to be one of those legacy coaches that's at UNC for the next 20 years? You know, I think that's really hard to answer. I think the best way I can answer it is he likes being at Carolina. 
his family likes being at Carolina. He has um, a daughter who is, I think, going to be a sophomore at UNC next year, another daughter who's uh, into her high school uh, career in, in the Chapel Hill area. So they have roots in the area now, and he's been here a while now. I mean, you know, this will be his uh, sixth year coming up as the head coach. Um, so I think he really enjoys the area. His family enjoys the area. Also, he... 100% believes that he can win a national championship at Carolina. And I think uh, you've got the Coastal Division of the ACC, which is a winnable division. Um, and if you win that division, you go to the championship game. If you win that game, who knows what happens? And I mean, you saw that two years ago. If Carolina had beaten Clemson, uh, and they were a, a touchdown and a two-point conversion away from doing it, um, you know, I think there's a really good chance the Tar Heels make the college football playoff. And, and so, if you can do that, sorry to me to cut you off, no. it, you can do that at Carolina. You have the resources to do it. You have a winnable division. It's a terrific area. It's and he makes good money. He just signed a, a extension through 2022. So um, you can never say never. But I, I would, I, I think he likes where he is and, and is very comfortable with his position right now. And, you know, and I would like to say that I think, given the cloud over the program since he's been here. I don't know if anybody could have handled it better. No. I mean, at least from my perception, you might have another perception. I think he was the perfect hire at that time because Carolina needed something new. They needed something fresh. They needed something exciting. And he brought all of that, uh, just even in that introductory press conference. You know, right. he brought that energy and that excitement. And then with the way Carolina plays um, and the level of success he's I mean, Carolina's won 19 games the last two years. So um, he, I think he's done a terrific job. The expectations for Carolina football are kind of wide ranging, depending on who you talk to. But I know that he feels like uh, they should be a championship caliber team and, and they're taking steps to get in there. You know, I was at that championship um, game with Clemson, mm -hmm. we were outnumbered like crazy in terms of fans. But the Clemson fans all around us said, you guys are getting really, really close underneath this coach. And, uh, you know, I just – I did being there. That was the first time I felt like, man, we could really, really be a top ten program if we can, you know, continue this success. And I was curious about that game as far as being outnumbered. That, that was pretty crazy because it's almost equal distance in sure. terms of traveling. Well, the biggest reason why was Clemson had clinched their spot in the game two weeks before Carolina had. That's and right. so I, I, that was the biggest deal is that Clemson fans gobbled up all those tickets in those that time period. And they have a rabid fan base, as you would expect. They have a terrific program. Um, and I think, to your point, gosh, it, the way last year football-wise ended – I think soured a lot of people on what was a terrific year. I mean, if right. you remember Carolina beat Pittsburgh, Carolina beat Florida State, you know, they really had it rolling. And then they had that really disappointing second half in Durham um, on the Thursday right. night game that kind of it just got things that seemed like loose. And right. I do think the injury to Matt Collins hurt him last year. Um, I think some injuries on the offensive line hurt him last year. Injury to Elijah Hood hurt him last year. And, and finally, that kind of stuff, I think, caught up with him. And if not, I think we're talking about Carolina potentially having back-to-back double-digit win seasons. And, you know, from being a Carolina, that doesn't happen all the time. Nope. And so I, I think they were really close to that. <laughs> and I'm not trying to excuse what happened. They, they – 
did not play anywhere close to the way they wanted against Duke and started so poorly against State they couldn't get out of the hole um, before the game ended. Um, I'm not trying to excuse that, but I think they were really close to where they wanted to be. Now the challenge is you got to do it again, and but with a different identity because – you know, Hollins is gone. Howard is gone. Trubisky's gone. Switzer's gone. Hood's gone. Logan's gone. Wow. You, so you got you to gotta figure out a different way to do it now. Yep. All right. You're listening to From the Cheap Seats with Krista Lambert, Brandon Atkins. Jones Angel's been with us uh, here for three segments. You want to do one more before yeah, we run out of here? Excellent. We got about a minute left. Check us out on Facebook at From the Cheap Seats. You can find the archive to all of the shows we've ever done on SoundCloud at From the Cheap Seats. Find me on Twitter at Chris underscore DeLambert. You find us on WDCC 90.5 FM in Central North Carolina or around the world on WBLZ Sports Network and the BSN 716 Network, Buffalo Sports Network. How did we manage to get on in upstate New York, Brandon? Oh, Crystal Lambert's a pretty amazing guy. <laughs> I don't know. I just don't take no for an the, answer. The I sweet suppose. smell of Cheerios, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I tell that's you what, crazy. I, who knew? Who knew? We're going to have to work on that. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. You grew up knowing you could do anything. As a soldier in the U.S. Army, you'll test your limits and feel the pride of doing things you never thought possible. With guaranteed training in one of more than 150 career fields, up to $40,000 cash enlistment bonus, you'll earn a steady paycheck, get money for college, and gain valuable experience while you learn how to be a valued team leader. To find out more, call your local Army recruiter or visit us at GoArmy.com. They're strong, and then there's Army Strong. The V Foundation and board member Robin Roberts are dedicated to declaring victory over cancer by funding cutting-edge research. Jim Valvano's greatest legacy is the V Foundation. You can help join the fight, give the gift of time. We need passion, we need teamwork and momentum. The time to act is now. There's not a moment to lose. Every dollar counts. Every day counts. To find out how you can join us to defeat cancer, please visit JimmyV.org. My name is Bobby. I'm a veteran and lost my leg to a roadside bomb. My victory was going from a wheelchair to becoming a weightlifting champion. I'm Sam. I'm a veteran. My victory was finding a career that I could be proud of. At DAV, we're on a mission, helping veterans of all generations get the benefits they've earned. I'm Cece. My victory was finishing my education. When America's veterans win, we all win. Help us support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. Welcome back to From the Cheap Seat. Crystal Lambert, Brandon Atkins here on From the Cheap Seats. We're continuing our conversation with Jones Angel, voice of the North Carolina Tar Heels. So given your druthers, and if you could only do one the rest of your life, football or basketball? Man, that's a tough question. Um, I think if I'm if the qualifier is you're at North Carolina, I think the answer is, is basketball simply because – of the history, the tradition, the excellence, the interest level, um, just all those things that, that come along with Carolina. And I want to be careful in saying that I don't want to put down Tariel football because I think um, that's also a program that has a great tradition. And as we just talked about last segment is one that I really do think is close to taking that next step. And I love doing both. But um, 
you know, the, the Tar Heels, I think the first thing you think of when you think Tar Heels is, is Tar Heel basketball, so hard to go any other direction. Yeah, but if you did just basketball, you wouldn't be able to do this. Bernard fields it at the 26, heading to the far side. Gio at the 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio, he's going to take it for a touchdown. Are you kidding me? Have you, been, have you gotten sick of hearing that yet? I'm going to tell you the absolute truth. I even got a little bit of chill bumps right then. (laughs) And it wasn't because the play-by-play guy. It's just the memory. Um, I'll tell you a couple funny stories about that particular play. Number one, we talked about Woody a little bit earlier. And Woody was so established. I grew up listening to Woody. Millions of people in this state grew up listening to Woody. It was never going to be easy, whether it was me, whether it was Diamond Dave Kaplan, whether whoever it was, who was going to come in and, and do that job next. It was never going to be easy as far as the acceptance level. That play helped me gain some acceptance with Carolina fans. It was the first really big, memorable play that they associated my voice and my call with compared to Woody's. Um, It just got me some equity. It is one that people to this day, until the national championship, it's the number one thing people talk to me about when we're talking about the Tar Heel Sports Network and our radio broadcast. The other last year, last spring, that time period, I play in a ton of like charity golf tournaments and things like that. This gentleman came up to me, who I did not know, and he said, would you call my cell phone? (laughs) I said, sure, what's your number? And so he gave me his number. He's like, I mean, he's as close as you are to me right now. He pulled out his phone, told me his number. I called it. His ringtone was that play call. Nice. Oh, wow. (laughs) And so for whatever reason, that play call has really resonated with Carolina fans. And I know the reason. It's not because the call was anything special. It's because that moment is one of the most memorable moments in Keenan Stadium history. Carolina had lost the state four or five years in a row. Carolina was right at the height of all the NCAA stuff. They were hearing it from state fans more than anybody else. They had lost a lead in that game. State, it looked like they were going to lose. Carolina had come back to tie the game. And then, I mean, how often do you see a punt return for a touchdown that wins the game? It just never happens. And And not to mention the helmets. Yeah, that's right. They they had the chrome helmets that game. So it, it has been the most impactful single play and play call for me professionally. And the final part I'll tell you about that is what an honor it is to be associated with such an impactful call with Gio Bernard, who I think is just a first-class dude. Um, I'm so happy to see he's still having success at the next level and um, is somebody who I really, really like and respect. Well, I'm a, I'm a lifelong Bengal fan. And I would love to know if you have any insight as to why in the blue hell Marvin Lewis and the Cincinnati Bengals have not allowed Gio Bernard to return one punt in his four years in Cincinnati. I don't understand. If I had to guess, and I haven't talked to Marvin Lewis about this, <laughs> if I had to guess, it's because they don't want him to get hurt. And returning punts is a violent job. 
Geo is not a big guy, especially for the NFL. And we've seen that with his career. He's kind of moved into more of the, the secondary guy, the change of pace guy, which he excels at. But that is a dangerous job. And, in, you know, it's funny. I think people forget he was not back to return that punt originally yeah. for Carolina. It was a guy named Roy Smith who was back there to return the punt. Geo actually took him off the field without the I – mean, the coaches didn't tell him to do it. He oh, just wow. went out there and took him off the field. He had been a regular returner but was a little shaken up, and so they had taken him off return that particular game. He went out there, took Roy off the field, and there he goes. Okay, so, so i got to ask you this. In the Geo call when you say, no, he's not. Yes, he is. Mm-hmm. Be honest. Is that – did you really think that at the time, or was that theater? Were you just putting the theater on it, that call? I don't – I have no <laughs> recollection of what was happening at the that's, time. And, and so, I mean, it awesome. wasn't planned. I didn't – it wasn't like I had it written down on my sheet, like, oh, if it's a terrific call, <laughs> I'm going to say this. Because I don't think you can plan out those moments. The Luke May shot against Kentucky that we talked about is another one. I mean – you can't script those moments. Right. And so I have no idea why I said it. Um, I've said it once or twice after that. It's just something that every now and then kind of comes out for I bet you reason. hear it an awful lot, yes. don't you? And so, um, yeah, to people, you know what is interesting? I mean, I get the no, he's not, yes, he is. At the end of the call, there was the, I don't even remember what it is now. It's like, are you kidding me? I hear that from people a lot. There's just a lot of pieces of that I, play I that just, people enjoy. I can just see you putting. And you go, no, I What's, didn't. Yes, I yes, did. Yes, I did. <laughs> Sadly, when I'm putting, it's no, I didn't. Nah, no, I didn't. <laughs> so my wife is a licensed counselor, and she told me a long time ago um, when I started doing TV and radio with high school football and things like that, I would constantly listen and critique myself mm-hmm. and critique David Kaplan even, even oh, yeah. more than I would critique myself. That's easy. No, I'm yeah. just playing. <laughs> but she told me, she said, you know. A plus, baby. It is a sign <laughs> Um, of being a sociopath if you can listen to your own voice on the radio without cringing a little bit. Mm. And that hurt my soul a little bit. <laughs> but I'm sitting here with you, and, and you know, obviously you hear yourself whether you like it or not, and, and I don't feel like you're a sociopath. So we're good. I appreciate you coming in and giving me that kind of therapy. I hope. I hope good. not. You know, I do go back and listen because I think that's the easiest way to get better. I agree. Is you have to hear, and I don't do it after every game, but at the end of the season, I do a lot just to see how I'm interacting with our analyst. If I say a phrase too much, something that you may not recognize um, kind of in the course of things, um, I think that's a great way to do it. Now, the Gio Bernard call on that punt return against NC State has become iconic in the in the state of North Carolina. It's, mm. you know, you hear it everywhere. Go to the Go to the web, Google it. I mean, it's out there a million different times. Has there ever been a call that you witnessed and, and were, were doing play-by-play for that you wish you had over? Oh, good question. You know, one doesn't necessarily slam into my mind. Um, you know, I mentioned I said the no, he's not, yes, he is, or whatever. I said it again, maybe in the next season or two seasons later where Ryan Switzer – ran back a bunch of punts for touchdowns against Mm -hmm. Pittsburgh. I think he ran two or three back in the game for a touchdown. I can't remember now. Um, But I said it during that play. And then I remember afterwards, I was like, you know, I kind of wish I hadn't done that. I kind (laughs) of wish that had been uh, just with that particular uh, play. But a happy ending to that story. I saw Ryan Switzer's mom before the Georgia game last year, and she talked about how – 
awesome their family thought it was that I had said that during one of his play calls because they had always they loved that geo play and yeah. they said oh to be associated with that play is so cool and you know we've always thought that's really neat so somebody liked it which was good but that's one that I may want to do over um, but I think again a lot of times you just have to rely on your preparation your ability your emotion all those kind of things you can't script what you're going to say. The only time I've even thought about before what I was going to say was the two national championship games. And you can't script Chris Jenkins making a three at the buzzer. If you're the Villanova guy, he wasn't. Brutal. He didn't have anything written down to say for that moment. Right. Um, but I do think for a championship game, you got to be ready. If you're up 30 points with 10 seconds left, you got to have an idea of something that you want to say not again i didn't have anything written down but i did know i wanted to slide in a couple particular things brandon what would you have said at with the uh, chris jenkins three at the buzzer well right before that shot when i was in vegas in the luxor sports book i'll tell you what i did when Paige hit that shot i got up and ran a circle around the sports book and i wasn't even done breathing hard when jenkins hit his shot it i was looking right down the barrel of that three-pointer and it was good the whole time um, the hard that's the hardest broadcast portion of a broadcast I've ever had to do not the shot going in right but the aftermath because the Villanova families were right behind us the players were standing on our table and I'm not saying this in, I mean they should have been excited they oh, yeah. should have been celebrating with their families but it was tough man I bet and to juxtapose that and I showed you guys a picture before we got started of Joel Berry who in the waning seconds of the game this year against Gonzaga, at the end of that sequence where Kennedy Meeks blocked the shot, Justin Jackson got a dunk, Meeks got the steal, got it to Barry, he was fouled, and it became apparent that Carolina was probably going to win. Right. Um, Joel Berry just happened to be right in front of us. We had Carolina fans behind us, and he kind of did this, like, just kind of flex, like, yeah, cool. celebration. And so to think about those two moments kind of juxtaposed next to each other is pretty cool. Well, can, David, can I David tell Kaplan you? shot a nine – the other oh, day. good grief. Can you walk us through how you would call that? <laughs> Sadly, I've lived that plenty of times. So I don't mean to. I'll tell you what I was thinking when Marcus Page made a shot. He made it too early. I thought that instantly. I was like, oh, gosh, they're going to have a chance. And then no one stepped in front of Jenkins. But anyway. No one ste- – that's, that's been your thing the whole time. you got to stop the ball. Well, you got to make them change the direction. Yeah, yeah, Monday morning quarterback. Mr. Yeah. Angel. Thanks for coming and hanging out. This has been so is much this fun. It? We, we yeah, we got more. we got it. We actually have a, uh, a a lunch date we've got to make here. Right, too long. You got to talk but more. I do want to <laughs> know. Obviously, tune into the radio and catch UNC football, UNC basketball. Thanks again, Thanks a lot, man, for coming oh, out. Love being here. Thanks so much for having me. You're listening to Krista Lambert and Brandon Atkin. You might not love your seats, but you'll love the show. When I was just a tiny baby, I was stolen from my parents. I was imprisoned in a cramped cage and was touched and photographed completely against my will, solely for somebody's profit. Then I started to grow bigger and they locked me away for life. If you knew that was the life of a tiger cub, would you still pay to pet her? Learn how they're exploited through petting and photo ops at cubabuse.com. Hello, I'm Rob Beckley, lead singer of the band Pillar. 
I served in the Army Reserve for eight years, and it taught me lessons in teamwork, leadership, and organizational skills that I still use today. Serving part-time in the Army Reserve also offers skill training, money for college, and bonuses up to $20,000. So if you're up to the challenge, talk to your local Army Reserve recruiter today or check us out online at GoArmyReserve.com. You too can be Army strong in the Army Reserve. Everyone deserves a decent place to live. Everyone. Decent shelter is something we all need to thrive. Through shelter, we empower. Visit Habitat.org to donate today. You grew up knowing you could do anything. As a soldier in the U.S. Army, you'll test your limits and feel the pride of doing things you never thought possible. With guaranteed training in one of more than 150 career fields, up to $40,000 cash enlistment bonus, you'll earn a steady paycheck, get money for college, and gain valuable experience while you learn how to be a valued team leader. To find out more, call your local Army recruiter or visit us at GoArmy.com. There's Strong, and then there's Army Strong. Hello, I'm Rob Beckley, lead singer of the band Pillar. I served in the Army Reserve for eight years, and it taught me lessons in teamwork, leadership, and organizational skills that I still use today. Serving part-time in the Army Reserve also offers skill training, money for college, and bonuses up to $20,000. So if you're up to the challenge, talk to your local Army Reserve recruiter today or check us out online at GoArmyReserve.com. You too can be Army strong in the Army Reserve. My name is Bobby. I'm a veteran and lost my leg to a roadside bomb. My victory was going from a wheelchair to becoming a weightlifting champion. I'm Sam. I'm a veteran. My victory was finding a career that I could be proud of. At DAV, we're on a mission, helping veterans of all generations get the benefits they've earned. I'm Cece. My victory was finishing my education. When America's veterans win, we all win. Help us support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. Now, from the Cheap Seats with Chris DeLambert and Brandon Atkins. What's everybody? What's up? <laughs> Welcome to the Cheap Seats. That was a little abrupt there coming back. Welcome to the second hour. want to say thanks again to Jones Angel for coming hanging out with us, Brandon. That was a lot of fun, wasn't it? Bucket list. Really? Scratched ain't, know, yeah, man. For fun. me, it was. The voice list. of the Tar Heels? Are you kidding me? All right. Who's the voice of the Cincinnati Bengals? Maybe that'll we can get them in there. Here, why? Ooh. Why are we being so ugly today, man? You were all, we were all, you know, <laughs> you getting along. My... Everybody was nice and smiley. Jones was in here, and now you didn't flip the script. I'm sorry, Jones, man. That's bucket list material, that's right? That's cool, there. man. Real cool. Trent, welcome back in. Good morning. Good morning. What's going on, man? Oh, nothing. Living the dream, my friend. Living the dream. I just want to know if Jones Angel was bucket list, join us now in studio, Big Don Clayton. If Jones Angel's bucket list, what is Don? Ooh. He's uh, the golden voice of the Cavaliers. The golden voice of the Cavaliers. And that's how he was introduced the other day. At some point between <laughs> now and the end of the show, wow. you're going to have to give us a big roll-in intro Don Clayton. Let's go ahead and hear it now, bro. Is is that? And let's get this show started right. We're going to do is this? It? I want you to do it one time. And now. Come on. You guys got to realize something. It's early in the morning. You know, games are played in the evening. You know, I have to have a whole entire day. 
to, to get to just do your you, best. You, you talked Listen. to Jones last week. Jones had to have a whole week to get prepared, right? So I need at least a little bit of time here, boys. It's still early. Hold on. I see <laughs> that you've been drinking on Circle K premium coffees over there. That should have gotten you ready to go. Okay, right. maybe later in the show, Chris. That would that went well, didn't yeah. it? All right, NBA free agency. <laughs> big, big, big weekend. Uh, Things kicked off with a bang. Jimmy Butler got traded. Paul George got traded. Kind of snuck up on everybody. Talk about what that Paul George deal means, Brandon. Well, first, the big one, that, the, the one that really set the dominoes falling is the Vince Carter talking to <laughs> Sacramento Kings. <laughs> In year 19. <laughs> How old is Vince Carter at this point? Uh, he's 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 close to 40. He's, he's close oh, to no, 40. No, no, no. He's older than that. No, he's not. He'll be 42 next year. I guarantee it. Professor, Professor Trent will confirm that. But I'm telling you, I think he's 42 next year. I think, I think Vince played this year at, at 41. I will tell you, this whole Paul George thing, this is interesting. This is really interesting to me because now Oklahoma City adds him to the mix with Russell Westbrook. Enos Cantor, one of the better big men around, they're all in right now. And they've got, you know, their two key components. The question is, can they keep them? Because if you can, you know, if if somehow they can get Paul George to put this whole I want to go to L.A. thing to bed and he decides that Oklahoma City is going to be home for him, Westbrook and Paul George moving forward, those two guys are in the prime of their careers. They've got a lot of good basketball ahead of them. I'm excited about what Oklahoma City could do if they can keep that core intact. Can they do it? i got a couple of thoughts. Number one, George and Westbrook. George is not the same as Kevin Durant. But with those two there together, it reminds me of the Kevin Durant-Westbrook you go. All right, you went. Now it's my turn. Now it's your turn. You score. Now you, I score. You know, and that's how this looks is that they are probably just going to take turns going back and forth. So you kind of question the chemistry there. I have a theory that George George's plans still to this day is to go to the Lakers. I have a, another theory is that he's got an entire year to talk Westbrook into going with him. Yeah. See, and, that's what I that's what I even tweeted out. I said, okay, fine. They're just getting ready when they both march over to L.A., Westbrook and George together. Well, you might have tweeted that out, but you know I didn't steal it on Twitter. Because I'm still <laughs> – Well, I did send you a postcard, so you should be getting it in a few days. Yeah, check your I, mailbox. I'll check the fax machine. All right, here No, but so – LeBron talks to Paul George. This is when I throw my crazy. So uh, I, I want to make sure I, I want to make sure I understand this scenario that you guys have created. So it's Paul George to the Lakers, Russell Westbrook to the Lakers. LeBron's going to go out there and meet him, and they're going to bring in Boogie Cousins next year. Is that what's going on? Yeah, yeah, well, right. exactly. Well, uh, I mean, where, where is Meadowlark Lemon going to play on this? <laughs> the the Laker Globetrotter amalgamation here. But I mean, this is what everybody's said is going to happen when when Kevin Durant went to Golden State. In fact, this has been one of the busier, more exciting free agencies that we've had in a, a little while. But after Kevin Durant did what he did last year, it's kind of ho-hum, right? Because hold you on haven't... A hold on a minute, Brandon. I just Go got ahead. breaking news. Okay. Muggsy Bogues is talking to the Lakers <laughs> as we speak. 
tight. Edgar. Does he? Six foot six, 220 pounds from Daytona Beach, Florida, at the age of 40, Vince Carter. Ooh. That was all right. That was all right. Now, that that was a warm up, so we'll reach a crescendo here. (laughs) And it was factually accurate. You said 40 years old. You said 42. All right, well. We're Carolina guys. We know what we're talking about. You just sit tight. Word. Well, I'll, I'll be here. You guys finish the show, I suppose. No, uh, but going back to what I said, that's the goal for LeBron is to put together the super team that can beat Golden State. So I, when George went to Oklahoma City, I was like, ooh, that doesn't sound good for LeBron. But then I started thinking about it. All these guys have one year left or just sign a one-year deal. But All of that could happen. Here's the ultimate question. Is this good or bad for the NBA? Oh, it's great for the NBA. And and anybody that that thinks that it's not doesn't understand um, the American sports landscape. America likes dominant teams. Parity when you've got you know twenty five of your thirty teams that have got a legitimate shot. Everything just kind of gets lost in the shuffle. Think back to the great periods in NBA history. There are dominant teams associated with that. Whether we're talking about the Celtics. Uh, Celtics Lakers from the early 80s. Look at what's going on now with this 30 for 30. And you're talking about the Celtics from the, you know, the Celtics Lakers back and forth throughout the 80s. And then coming right behind them, you had the Pistons that turned quickly to the Bulls. Um, After that, things kind of became messy. And, you know, free agency really kind of kicked in. Players were moving all over the place. And you haven't had any real super teams until now. But it's so unbalanced. So I mean, right now, Camelo's saying, you know, oh, I'll go to Houston or I'll go to Cleveland. And everyone's like, no, don't go to the West. Are you joking? I mean, why now? Bringing up the point, stop the conferences. Just merge it all together because it's so heavy on the West. There's it, nothing out Everything the runs in cycles. Yeah. Everything yeah. goes Ooh. in cycles. Well, you know, the biggest free agency move that's going to hurt Golden State is when they decided to pay Steph Curry two hundred million over five years. They didn't have any choice. They didn't choose to do that. No, I understand. But how do you pay for everybody else once well, that's it, locked in? If you're asking the question, how do you pay? It's not the Steph Curry deal that complicates things. It's the the Andre Iguodala deal. Mm-hmm. I also- thought there was no chance he was coming back to the to the Warriors, not because they didn't want him, but because now. They've put themselves in a position with Iguodala and that fat deal, Steph Curry and his deal, Draymond Green and his deal, Kevin Durant and his deal. Which he doesn't even have one yet. There you go. And they'll they'll get that under, obviously. But Clay Thompson is two years away from free agency. Now you have a problem with that. Mm-hmm. So Clay Thompson may be the odd man out. Who knows though? I mean, first of all, it's impossible to predict what's going to happen with the salary cap. Um, but the Warriors said, look, we know that we can extend our window now. You know, they've won two out of three championships. You add a third and a fourth. You worry about that down the road. So they kicked the can down the road, and they're resigned. We're going to pay a whole bunch of luxury tax already. They're saying that by the end of 19, these guys are $45 million in luxury tax payments. That's ridiculous. So do you think that the West is all stacking up to beat the Warriors? I mean, there's a expiration date on that team. Yeah, but 
yes, there's an expiration date, but that expiration date could be a month from now if Steph Curry blows a knee out. That's the other point too. Is you've got it. You've got a couple of different philosophies going on with general managers. Obviously, there's an arms race, and I, I credit your boy LeBron James, Brandon. He created this monster when he took Chris Bosh with him down to Miami. Yeah. And that sort of raised the bar for what it was going to take for teams to win championships. Golden State did it a different way. Golden State just knocked it out of the box with finding talent and and developing that talent. But now they've locked it in. They added Kevin Garnett as a or Kevin Garnett. <laughs> Kevin Durant as don't, that final piece. Don't have that be an afterthought, though, adding Kevin Durant. No, no, no. Like, I'm he's not, the second it's not best an afterthought. But they built their core and then brought added, in that guy. Yeah, you know, because Iguodala was there, but he didn't come as a you know a superstar. But you basically look down that roster, and with the exception of, of Durant now and Iguodala, those are homegrown guys. So they did it that way, and it's a perfect model. Well, now the rest of the NBA has shifted and decided we're going to have to catch up. And what you're seeing is these great teams coming together. Everything's relative, though. You can't in the NBA, you're not going to have a dozen quote-unquote super teams. You're going to have one or two of these teams that rises to the top. We assume that Golden State's going to be one of those that's at the top next year. But again, you're a turned ankle away because if you take one or one of those components away, they're they're mortal at that point. You know, you got chemistry issues. They're Maybe talking two. right now about bringing Nick Young in. Are what? Hmm. Do you really want that? You you talk about chemistry. Nick Young is a heck of a three point shooter. Well, Nick so, Young doesn't do much else. So far, we haven't seen anybody address the super team, right? The the second tier across the board, especially in the West, like Trent said, got significantly better. But you still got two teams to get past, one in the West, one in the East. I, I, the good news is that Golden State will have to go through the ringer a little bit before they go to the finals again next year. Maybe they get worn <laughs> out a little bit. Okay, you said that there's two teams, one in the West, one in the East. I disagree with you. We bashed the Celtics throughout the, the postseason and said, you know, they were kind of pretenders. But you took a really good Boston team. You just added Jason Tatum to that team. And they're not done yet. Uh, Gordon Hayward, that bottle hadn't stopped spinning yet. Hayward's not their first choice, and frankly, we talked about it off air. People are afraid to deal with Ainge because he's fleeced everybody in the league, and now people are not wanting to deal with him because he's embarrassed so many people. All right, well, we'll talk more about that on the other side of the break. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. You grew up knowing you could do anything. As a soldier in the U.S. Army, you'll test your limits and feel the pride of doing things you never thought possible. With guaranteed training in one of more than 150 career fields, up to $40,000 cash enlistment bonus, you'll earn a steady paycheck, get money for college, and gain valuable experience while you learn how to be a valued team leader. To find out more, call your local Army recruiter or visit us at GoArmy.com. They're strong, and then there's Army Strong. The V Foundation and board member Robin Roberts are dedicated to declaring victory over cancer by funding cutting-edge research. Jim Valvano's greatest legacy is the V Foundation. You can help join the fight, give the gift of time. We need passion, we need teamwork and momentum. The time to act is now. 
there's not a moment to lose. Every dollar counts. Every day counts. To find out how you can join us to defeat cancer, please visit JimmyV.org. My name is Bobby. I'm a veteran and lost my leg to a roadside bomb. My victory was going from a wheelchair to becoming a weightlifting champion. I'm Sam. I'm a veteran. My victory was finding a career that I could be proud of. At DAV, we're on a mission, helping veterans of all generations get the benefits they've earned. I'm Cece. My victory was finishing my education. When America's veterans win, we all win. Help us support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. Welcome back to From the Cheap Seats. All right, From the Cheap Seats, Krista Lambert, Brandon Atkins, Professor Trent Nichols, and making his debut, Big Don Clayton, talking about public enemy number one, Danny Ainge. And Brandon, you and I had this conversation last night and said, you know, you broke it down and said Danny Ainge has gotten to the point where there's so much press and, and so much negativity. Um, the other direction with with how badly he's made some teams look with some of the things he's pulled off that maybe there's some hesitancy around the league with people wanting to deal with Ainge. We'll get to that in a minute. Back to my point, this Celtics team's a good ball club. Mm-hmm. Assuming that Isaiah Thomas continues to play as well as he has. And they can put, continue to play good team basketball, play defense. You add Jason Tater to the mix. That's a weapon. That's a that's a presence they haven't had before. I still think Gordon Hayward's coming to the Celtics, and I don't care if he was their first choice or not. Frankly, given the fact that Paul George is you know wants to go into L.A. and all the rest of that, I think Gordon Hayward was the natural fit all along. Well, I think he's been their target the whole time for a couple of years. Absolutely, and I think the Paul George, maybe this was another Danny Ainge fleecing where he was leaking because what NBA team is going to show all their cards and now look like everything fell apart? Oh, my God, what happened to Boston? They still have nine first-round picks in the next two years. And And Gordon Hayward may go there. He may go to Miami, but they won the East. Okay, two two things here. First of all, if – Hayward comes to the Celtics, and you've added Jason Tatum and Gordon Hayward to that ball club. Don't forget about Jabari Bird. I how can I forget about Jabari Bird? Um, <laughs> thanks they, for your input there. They just, they just had to. They drafted a guy named Bird with the last name Bird. Celtics, like but you get it. I like it. Is, that, got, is that Larry's nephew? No. Nah. They got Paul George out of the East, so they made all those other teams that could have got him. Well, here's the thing. We is here, here's, here's what's crazy to me. And, and you're talking about Danny Ainge fleecing people. The issue is Paul George, what we're being led to believe by the David Aldridge's of the world is that Indiana took um, Victor Oladipo yeah. and Sabonis straight up for <laughs> Paul George instead of having taken – Three number ones, including the number one overall pick and a player. Come on, man. There's not that kind of ineptitude in any front office, whether you feel that way about Danny Ainge. I'm not buying any of that for a second. So did he pull? Did he even make that offer, or did he? That's pull what it I'm saying. saying. Well, we You're have right. to wait until we can sign Hayward, and then we'll trade for George. 
I think he threw it out there to throw everyone off. I think this is this is a, a false information campaign. I think there's some psychological warfare going on because I just don't believe that happened. When you say when you know all those folks talking about, well, you know, sources tell us, sources tell us. I'm, I think it's probably, you know, Danny Ainge's secretary on the phone. This is what we did. <laughs> maybe, maybe you're right. I don't know that it was anything as sinister as we're going to try to get Paul George out of the out of the East. But now you're sitting there, and I really think that Boston's got a shot at the guy they wanted in the first place and don't have to give anything else up. That's the thing. Is this, You look at Paul George, Gordon Hayward, which one do you rather have? Well, shoot. Well, here's the deal. It, there's two things. Jason Tatum, I think this whole thing of the Celtics centers on Jason Tatum. How he – I think he's going to be phenomenal. I've been saying that for months. But it depends on how he comes into the league. Right now, Hayward's going to watch, I guess, taking a Red Sox game. He believes in strong relationships with the coaches, which is – everybody says that. But I'm looking at the rest of their roster. If Jason Tatum – takes a year or two to get right. Like the player that we think he's going to be, Avery Bradley, Jalen Brown, Jay Crowder. Those are not sexy names. Like, I mean, you got Isaiah Thomas. Celtics played better with him when he got injured last year. I mean, that might be an isolated incident. And then you're paying Al Horford a gazillion dollars. The only one they're paying. You know, $27 million. Yeah, but but, but look at it in today's economy. Al Horford, twenty-seven million. JJ Redick just got twenty-three. <laughs> I mean that that Horford deal last year. You're like, man, that's a lot of cheese. But every year that comes and that salary cap bumps up, that's that deal gets smaller and smaller. They've got Horford in the prime of his career. He's not a you know he's not a superstar, but he's going to go out and do his thing night in and night out. So you've got that component. You've got Isaiah Thomas for a song right now. Yeah, that's looking like one of the best contracts in the world. Avery Bradley brings good defense. Jay Crowder brings good defense. And he's up in a year. Marcus, yeah, Marcus right. Smart. Oh, and Jay Crowder's another one. Jay Crowder's on a great contract. Yeah. Um, they are they are positioned. You take Tatum. Tatum does his thing. Gives you a little bit of low post. Gives you you know sort of a stretch three. Gordon Hayward comes in. the The point that I was making between George and Hayward is you're really talking about apples and oranges because yeah, Paul George is the better player. But Paul George is going to cost you resources, you know, in terms of picks and players to get. Gordon Hayward, you bring him in, you don't have to give anybody up. They've got the cap room. And he could still walk away for nothing. So you gave up stuff to get George and walk away the next year for nothing when they signed Gordon Hayward. And the roster to me, I have nine first-round picks. All those other guys can go, and I can build in the future all these young guys or trade those for – players that they need. Well, tell me something. If Ainge's master plan was to get Hayward all along, why did he wait to the very end where Hayward's holding all the cards and and the leverage? Ainge is known for going, here's my number, take it or leave it. Now he's got someone who's got leverage. He's the last do- big domino to fall. If I... If I'm a Celtics fan, Ainge better get Hayward Look, if he's waited this here, long here, to make a move. Here's the deal. I... I I don't think it's a matter of the number. I think that when you look at the Jazz, the Heat, and the Celtics, they're all offering max deal. I I can't imagine that Boston's offering a nickel less than a max, nor is Miami. So the question becomes, do I want to go down to Miami with no sales tax in South Beach and hang out with the Hassan Whiteside on a team that's nowhere near ready to compete? Or do I come to Boston – 
cold weather Brad Stevens make a run at a championship and see if we really can do something with the Warriors. But it's a max deal. Does any of this matter, though, really? Aren't we looking ultimately at a Warriors-Cavaliers round three? Not negative. Negative. No. I, I don't think so for a second. The Cavaliers, the Cavaliers are beatable. I mean, you look at the Cavaliers and you stack the Cavaliers up with some of these teams that have been put together. The Cavaliers aren't a lock to beat those hardened Paul Rockets. I don't think, especially if they add Carmelo. You look at what's going on with some of these other teams. Look at the Timberwolves. I think if the Cavs add Carmelo, they're going to be even more beatable. They can't. I don't think they can. Is that because of the chemistry? <laughs> no, not because of the chemistry, because of... I mean, Carmelo, what does he bring? An drama. offense of somewhat, of but no defense. I, I've been back Zero and forth on the, on the Carmelo. Should they figure out how to parlay love into Carmelo? And I'm kind of with you, Trent. I think that it, you're really just adding more offense They were going to parlay love into team. George. Well, how'd that work out? I know, exactly. And, and the reason they didn't, I'm 100% convinced, Brandon, I'd be interested to hear what you think about this. I think LeBron is done. I think so, Cleveland. too. I think they need to trade LeBron. Get something for him before he walks he's, away. He's and then, if I'm Gordon Hayward, you sign with either Miami or Boston because in a year when LeBron goes, they all could be winning the East. It's wide I open. Would ag- I would agree with that 100%, except LeBron's got the no-trade clause. They he, can't trade him. He does, but LeBron, I don't think he's trying to stick it to Cleveland. No, he can And I'm not suggesting team. that Cleveland come out of the woodwork and you know try to send him to, I don't know, Atlanta. No, trade him to the Lakers like he wants or whatever team he wants, but then he's helping Cleveland because they're going to get something for him instead of him walking away like he did before. Absolutely. And, and you know, if the Lakers Same are on thing the that phone. that Chris Paul said but he did. I just get – given as engaged as LeBron has been the last couple of years during the offseason, I, I think he's done. Who in the – you're probably right. And, and, you know, when they made that front office change, that was the owner basically saying – I'm not going to let what happened last time happen go down this way. He's probably going to be out of Cleveland, LeBron is. And so I don't I actually don't fault the owner for trying to set his team up the best for the future, but LeBron probably is mentally done, especially because they did not get any help during free agency. But look, who's going to beat them in the East again? I I'm still trying to figure that out. If is it the Celtics cuz somebody mentioned the Rockets. I think the Rockets are out west, right? So, I mean, Boston. they're not going to see them until – Boston, Boston, Boston. Okay, well, then that's your only hope. And so, Hayward, he better be signed because this Boston team that's right here can't beat the Cleveland Cavaliers. I, I don't agree. disagree. I don't disagree. They need another component or two. But, yeah, I think that Boston can. But that's an interesting way you put that because going into any particular season, going into last season, how many teams had a chance to win the East? Uh, One. Okay. Okay. Now I think we're to the point where we have two. Then you got a meat grinder out west. Maybe is Gold, it a meat? Golden State okay, won't but have the walk in the park that they did last okay, year. Okay, but which is which is good and which is bad? Because you're saying, well, there's only one now, maybe two teams that can win the East, but it's a meat grinder out in the West. Yeah. Which one That's do you exactly prefer? Right. Because yes, it's going to be a meat grinder out in the West. You, we haven't even talked about San Antonio, and San Antonio's not done yet. Nobody has. <laughs> I haven't heard all San weekend Antonio, anything about San Antonio. When was the last time San Antonio went through an offseason without pulling a rabbit out of their hat? 
Something's going to go down with the Spurs. I promise you, they will not sit tight. What about Kyle Lowry staying in Toronto? Well, and you know what? <laughs> they could win the East in two N- not years. Just, not just Kyle Lowry. Serge Ibaka's yep. back, which surprised me a little bit because I thought he was going to want a billion dollars. He actually took a good market contract, yeah. $85 million over three years, I think, which is a lot of cheese, but it's not a max deal. So you've got DeRozan, Lowry, Serge Ibaka, they've got a limited window, but look at Toronto. And and again, we're discounting the injuries here. Mm-hmm. I mean, <clears throat> yes, right now, Cleveland is your favorite. We'll see you on the other side. You're listening to Krista Lambert and Brandon Atkin. You might not love your seats, but you'll love the show. When I was just a tiny baby, I was stolen from my parents. I was imprisoned in a cramped cage and was touched and photographed completely against my will, solely for somebody's profit. Then I started to grow bigger and they locked me away for life. If you knew that was the life of a tiger cub, would you still pay to pet her? Learn how they're exploited through petting and photo ops at cubabuse.com. Hello, I'm Rob Beckley, lead singer of the band Pillar. I served in the Army Reserve for eight years and it taught me lessons in teamwork, leadership, and organizational skills that I still use today. Serving part-time in the Army Reserve also offers skill training, money for college, and bonuses up to $20,000. So if you're up to the challenge, talk to your local Army Reserve recruiter today or check us out online at GoArmyReserve.com. You too can be Army strong in the Army Reserve. Everyone deserves a decent place to live. Everyone. Decent shelter is something we all need to thrive. Through shelter, we empower. Visit Habitat.org to donate today. You grew up knowing you could do anything. As a soldier in the U.S. Army, you'll test your limits and feel the pride of doing things you never thought possible. With guaranteed training in one of more than 150 career fields, up to $40,000 cash enlistment bonus, you'll earn a steady paycheck, get money for college, and gain valuable experience while you learn how to be a valued team leader. To find out more, call your local Army recruiter or visit us at GoArmy.com. There's strong, and then there's Army strong. Hello, I'm Rob Beckley, lead singer of the band Pillar. I served in the Army Reserve for eight years, and it taught me lessons in teamwork, leadership, and organizational skills that I still use today. Serving part-time in the Army Reserve also offers skill training, money for college, and bonuses up to $20,000. So if you're up to the challenge, talk to your local Army Reserve recruiter today or check us out online at GoArmyReserve.com. You too can be Army strong in the Army Reserve. My name is Bobby. I'm a veteran and lost my leg to a roadside bomb. My victory was going from a wheelchair to becoming a weightlifting champion. I'm Sam. I'm a veteran. My victory was finding a career that I could be proud of. At DAV, we're on a mission, helping veterans of all generations get the benefits they've earned. I'm Cece. My victory was finishing my education. When America's veterans win, we all win. Help us support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org.
now, From the Cheap Seats with Chris DeLambert and Brandon Atkins. Welcome back to the Cheap Seats, everybody. Chris DeLambert, Brandon Atkins, Professor Trent Nichols, and Big Don Clayton. We're talking about parody in the NBA. Uh, if you've missed any of the show, go over to SoundCloud. You can find a podcast every show we've ever done at From the Cheap Seats on SoundCloud. Check us out on Facebook at Cheap Seat Radio. On Twitter, you can find me at Chris underscore DeLambert. Trent, what's your Twitter handle? At Tree Nichols. And Brandon Atkins, of course, you can fax him at 1-800-GET-SMART. Hashtag something. <laughs> Don, what's up? You're talking this nonsense about parody in the NBA. I have a question for you. You say you prefer parody. Not necessarily parody. I like competition. You like competition. I like competition. Not and not just at the in in the tournament. You know, in the finals. I, you know, I, I want competition during the regular season as well within the division. And right now, you don't have that necessarily, especially in the East. You don't. Okay. First of all, let's take a look back. Let's get in our time machine and go back to the 90s during what I consider the best era in NBA history. The Bulls dominated that. In the East, it was sort of the meat grinder, like Brandon said, where you've got Golden State and then you've got three or four other teams now that can push them. It was like the Pacers, the Knicks. The the Pistons. Yes, You're talking the about Cavaliers. The We're talking about in the 90s. Cavaliers. Think about the East. The you had you had Jordan's Bulls. Then you had Indiana that was chomping at the bit. The Cavaliers, the Knicks, the Pistons, all pushing, beating up on each other, and it was great basketball. Out West, who did you have? Well, you had the who, Houston Rockets. I mean, who did you have? Houston Rockets, right? How many times did the Rockets make it to the, to the NBA Finals? Phoenix Suns. The Lakers. All of those Lakers. second class of the Lakers at, in post in the in the post Portland. Magic Portland. Yeah, I mean Utah, you had some good teams out there. They were how many steps below Jordan's Bulls were they? Yeah, but see, my point is my point. Is, no, no, my point is is you're we're sitting here naming off all these teams in the East and the West in the '90s when the Bulls dominated. That's fine, but you had competition. You said it was great basketball, and I'm agreeing with you. It was great basketball. But now during the regular season, what are we talking about? We're talking about Cleveland, and we're talking about Golden State, and then all the other news pundits, sports broadcasters, reporters, they're out there making stories up on all the other teams just to keep them relevant. But at the end of the day, we all know who's going to win the championship or who at least is going to be in the finals. It's one of two, three, maybe four teams at best. At some point, to get to the top of the mountain, somebody's going to have to knock off this Golden State team. And that may be next year. It may be two or three years down the road. That's just the way it works. And that's fine. I'm 100% in agreement with that. And that's the same way it was with the Bulls. I'm not talking about the top of the mountain. I'm talking about the journey to the top of the mountain, the regular season. I like to see competition during the regular season. Okay, those teams in the East only have to play Golden State twice. Well, here's the deal. Donnie and I were talking off air. And the, the reason the NFL is so good regular season, or just any season, is because you go ahead and try to pick who's going to be in the Super Bowl. Maybe the Patriots would be a favorite, but even in the NFC South, we're talking about the Panthers and what they have to get do to get back to the playoffs. It is a crapshoot, which makes it fun. In the NBA, you can choose four teams, and two of those four At are going to be in the finals. At most. Dude, At most. How many? What At are most. we talking about? At most. 
what are we are, are we for real? Yeah. If you want the AFC, all right, it, the AFC in the last 15 years, if you took Pittsburgh, Denver, and New England, you'd have picked your AFC champ just about every year. That's parody? There's a lot more parody. Come on, in man. NFL. Let's go. Let's reset to when Dallas was on their run and was going to win it every year unless something happened. Here's the thing. Chris, hold I on. I want me... this Golden State team to stay intact. Because I want somebody eventually to knock them off. I don't want somebody to win and fall into it because Golden State couldn't keep the team together and Steph Curry had to go sign someplace else. But I guess the point, you make a good point about the the football teams, but is there any doubt that Golden State's not going to go to the finals next year? Yeah. Versus the Pittsburgh Steelers. I would say right now. You know, like the Pittsburgh Steelers, a lot has to go right. You're not – a shoe-in to be in the, the, the Super Bowl. Like, Golden State is a currently a shoe-in if they stay healthy okay. to be in the finals. All right, let me, let, me, let me ask you this. Will New England make the playoffs this coming season? Yes. Boom. Now, here's okay, your difference. That's the playoffs. No, no, no. Here's your difference. The NBA, because of its construct, nine times out of ten, the best team on paper – is going to win the series when you get to the playoffs. That's the difference between playing seven-game series and playing one for all the marbles like is in the is in the NFL. Same thing with college basketball. If you look at March Madness and you went in and teams were playing five games or seven-game series through that round of 64, there wouldn't be any drama. You'd have three or four teams, and you'd be like, one of these teams is going to – you go ahead and pencil them in. You could take your one seeds and basically say, well, those guys are going to be in the final four. Okay, well, where's your drama coming from in the NBA? Your drama is going to – that's the best thing about sports, guys. But where is it coming from? We don't from? know. That's what makes sports great. We don't have any idea. You do know if Golden State's going to be in the finals, though. Do we? Yes. I mean, let's, let's look back. You they, were just talking about the 30 for 30 about the Celtics and, and Lakers, right? Who in the world thought that in 86 Houston would beat L.A. and go to the finals? Nobody. That's why it was so dramatic. Chris, that the was a same – the it wasn't a different time. Oh, the yeah. Showtime Lakers, uh, you give me the Showtime Lakers and the Golden State Warriors right now, I want that series. The same dude has been to the finals out of the East for seven years in a row. Even the great Tom Brady can't say the same thing for the Super Bowl. But The same guy. Okay. We're talking more about – We're talking about James Jones, right? Yeah, James Jones. <laughs> All right, but but wait a minute. You can't say, well, the same guy's been to the finals eight years, but Golden State's ruined the league because Golden State hadn't been there eight years in a row. Donnie, tell something to this See, guy. here's the deal. It's just like AI said. We talking about off-season. <laughs> we talking about off-season, man. And see, that's the thing. It's not the players competing. It's the GMs. It's the big money. It's the big markets. That's what's competing now against one another in the NBA. And to me, that's not fun. We're talking more about this now in the offseason than I guarantee you we will during the season. Will we? Because I don't know for certain that Minnesota, with this new starting five, is not going to light the world on fire. And maybe it's not this year that they push Golden State. Maybe it's two years from now. But you look at what Minnesota's done, given the parameters of the salary cap in this new economy in the NBA, I'm excited for Timberwolves fans. 
I'm jumping on board. Oh, I'm going to get me Hornets? a car. Yeah, I think Hawks? the Hornets have had an amazing offseason. How many years are they away? When's Michael Jordan finally going to drop this, drop his wallet down and say, okay, I'm all in. We're going to build a super team. We're going to compete with Golden State. We're going to p- compete with Cleveland. When's he going to do that? Or is he just trying to stay mediocre or good? I think that when you talk about, okay, well, let's build a super team, I don't think that anybody in the NBA goes from rags to riches immediately. Because trying to get that next level free agent addition like you saw with KD and Golden State – You have to be on the precipice. I think that the Hornets are a playoff team at this point. I think uh, Dwight Howard, when this this season is done, has an opportunity to be the best addition anybody's made. He gives the Hornets something they absolutely haven't had. And yeah, he he may pout and he may be you know, a locker room cancer, and if he does, this will have failed miserably. But if he comes out and he decides he wants to buy in and push this Hornets franchise forward, he's going to get you 15-15 and 15 every single night and be the best rim protector in basketball. This hasn't happened yet, but which is better, Mello to the Cavaliers or uh, the Hornets with um, I think Howard, if, Dwight Howard? Yeah. I, I think – Okay, you. I want to make sure I understand your question. What team's Mello? better off, Mello with the Cavs or Howard with the Hornets? I don't know that Mello adds enough to the Cavs. I, Mello doesn't want to play defense. Mello doesn't want to share the basketball. I think Mello creates chemistry, chemistry problems on the floor. Dwight Howard comes in. Dwight's not going to command the basketball. He's not that guy anymore. He's going to get his putbacks. He's going to dominate around the rim. And in, with the Hornets, you have to take it in context. Michael Carter-Williams was a great addition. He comes in, doesn't cost you a whole lot. He can back up Kimball Walker at the point guard. He can play some two. He can start there. He gives you depth. And then you take Malik Monk. If Monk comes in and lights it up as one of the top three or four rookies out of the draft class like we think he could be, all of a sudden the Hornets went from being a very mediocre team to a pretty doggone good ball club. And at that point, if that happens, going into next offseason, maybe they're in the sweepstakes to make a run at a Paul George or Russell Westbrook or whomever the case might be. I don't know. It's a process, and overnight it's not going to happen. You look at the Timberwolves who forced the issue. You took a team that has Carl Anthony Towns, best young big man in basketball, Andrew Wiggins, former number one pick who is uber-athletic. They took those two guys – they shuffled out Marco Rubio after having brought in uh, Butler, Jimmy Butler. So you went in and you're like, okay, Carl Anthony Towns, Andrew Wiggins, Jimmy Butler. That's a only, nice core. Who's the only person that can actually shoot Towns? Well, he, well wait, wait a minute, though. That There's was, not a lot of shooters on that team right I, now. There were not. And they looked at Rubio, and Rubio's an underrated point guard, but Rubio can't get you points from the perimeter. Their problem is if Towns your best three-point threat, you got issues because he's your big guy. I think they solved a lot of that problem with Jeff Teague. Teague is dangerous enough. You can't just sag off of him. I think Teague fixes that. And now Taj Gibson, Gibson's not a world beater, but you bring Taj Gibson into the fold to play the four. Carl Anthony Towns can play a legit center. That's a heck of a starting five. Yeah, and to Chris's point, Four or five years ago, 
did we all think that, oh, my God, Golden State is going to be the dominant force for the next six right. years? They came out of nowhere. So who's to say Minnesota not having this buying these big-time players becomes that team? Sacramento, oh, they- who drafted right, becomes this big-time team because we don't know. Maybe Charlotte is not going in on, I'm going to buy all these commodities that are already proven. They're building it the right way, and all of a sudden, they'll be there like Golden State Professor was. Trent dropping bombs! All, all, they'd ha- all they have to do is find a kid that was passed on by Virginia Tech, went to Davidson, and lost his mind and figured out how to pay better than anybody else on the planet. And That's so all they have to who's do. Who's to say Wait that when the Charlotte Hornets... Oh, Brandon's right. Brandon's so never we'll right. We'll be right back. You grew up knowing you could do anything. As a soldier in the U.S. You dropped my mic, son. You dropped my mic next time. When was Steph Curry? When did Steph Curry... Up to $40,000 cash enlistment bonus, you'll earn a steady paycheck get money for college, and gain valuable experience while you learn how to be a valued team leader. To find out more, call your local Army recruiter or visit us at GoArmy.com. There's strong, and then there's Army strong. The V Foundation and board member Robin Roberts are dedicated to declaring victory over cancer by funding cutting-edge research. Jim Valvano's greatest legacy is the V Foundation. You can help join the fight, give the gift of time. We need passion, we need teamwork and momentum. The time to act is now. There's not a moment to lose. Every dollar counts, every day counts. To find out how you can join us to defeat cancer, please visit jimmyv.org. My name is Bobby. I'm a veteran and lost my leg to a roadside bomb. My victory was going from a wheelchair to becoming a weightlifting champion. I'm Sam. I'm a veteran. My victory was finding a career that I could be proud of. At DAV, we're on a mission, helping veterans of all generations get the benefits they've earned. I'm Cece. My victory was finishing my education. When America's veterans win, we all win. Help us support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. Welcome back to From the Cheap Seat. All right, 15 minutes left. We were supposed to pivot and go into the Pacquiao-Horn fight. We'll get to that at some point. Brandon, you got a point you want to make. Get after it. Yeah, let me just tell you, the one thing that's wrong with the league in a sentence is that Kyle Korver is going to make $22 million over three years. Well, the- That means he gets paid <laughs> – a million dollars for every three-pointer he hits in the playoffs. Wait a minute. Stop. stop. I mean, Steph Curry is making $117 a second he plays. So, God bless. That's pretty hot I stat. Love that. I I'm love think, it. I'm seriously thinking about going into my closet a second. and dusting off those Nikes that I haven't touched <laughs> in about five years and just trying out for a team. You're talking about your team. Air Jordans. Yeah, the my red, Jordans. The red, black ones, the original Air Jordans. How, you knew, yeah, you saw me back baby. in the day. I need to send a I need to send a shout out to Kyle Corver and and offer my services. He the, his agent has to be fired. Who's representing this guy? He got three years, twenty two million dollars. Is that correct? What did right. Reddick get? Reddick <laughs> got I mean, twenty three million for one year, and they're the same player. Oh. Except Reddick's ball goes in the hole, dude. Corvers, I, I know that it. you're you're fixated and you're trying to blame <laughs> LeBron not being good enough to get past the Golden State Warriors on one shot by Kyle Corver. But here's the thing: for for a career, 
you look at the numbers, Kyle Korver and J.J. Redick are essentially the same guy. They shoot about 42% from three-point land. They're marksmen. Korver's 6'7", he's 36 years old. J.J. Redick, and I'm doing this from memory, is 6'4", 33 years old. How in the blue heck is J.J. Redick worth three times as much per year than Kyle Korver? I don't get it. Kyle, fire your agent, hire me, brother. We'll get you some change. Did Reddick go to the 76ers? He did. All right, there's your answer. They well, make really stupid decisions. Well, no, no, no. Well, here, here's the thing. I, I do have to defend the Sixers here because my snap judgment was like, look at these idiots. It's not a bad deal. They, The Sixers aren't paying anybody. They've got everybody on rookie deals. Except for Reddick. <laughs> no, I mean, they have to spend. They have to spend. There's a, there's a minimum cap limit. They have to spend their money. And they've got Embiid, Sarich, Simmons, Fultz, all these guys playing for relative peanuts, they had to spend their money somewhere. So they bring Reddick in on a one-year deal, pay him that $23 million, give him a kiss on the cheek, wish him well next year. And let, you know. But they've got the cap room. They threw it out there. Just kind of an interesting deal, though, when you look at it. Because to me, J.J. Reddick, Kyle Korver, same guy. One of them is getting so $7 what's, million. So what's your offer to Kyle? You want to, to you want to rep him? Yeah. What happened to the last guy you rep? Uh, Adam, Adam Morrison. He was the last guy. Uh, I remember Adam that, Morrison. Chris. What? what? What happened? Adam Morrison. What happened to homeboy from Gonzaga? Oh. He just forgot how to play basketball due to Chris's guidance. Is that what Shaved happened? Shaved his mustache. How much? Adam Morrison's still counting his money. <laughs> <laughs> he's still kind of, you know, you see him. He pops up at the Final Four. He's living the life. He's living out in the cabin. He pops the up. only way we communicate, we communicate via uh, via carrier pigeon. Yeah, I release pigeons out there, and they run the messages back and forth. Get off Adam Morrison. No, hold man. up. He showed up at the Final Four looking like he crawled out of a sewer. Though. He did. He literally crawled out of a sewer he's into the Final like Four. always like that, though. Always. All right, guys. Not until he got Chris to represent him. True, Look, true. It, there was a big fight this weekend, and I'm honestly, this is this is no lie. You know, I hate ESPN for the most part. ESPN's back in the boxing game, and the fight this weekend, Manny Pacquiao, Manny Pacquiao versus Jeff Horn. They made this out to be a real life Rocky story. There was a lot of promos going into it. Kind of a yawner. I thought it was going to be. I said, you know, Pacquiao is 38 years old. He's past prime. This is one last payday for him. An interesting way for ESPN to make a splash and get back into the fight game. Now, they've got Lomachenko coming up. They've got some big fights coming down the road in August. I'm excited about it. And it's not pay-per-view. And I'm a big sports fan, but dropping 100 bucks to watch a fight, really not near the top of my list of priorities. So it's good to see ESPN back in the fight game. This fight, in terms of entertainment value, had to have exceeded anybody's expectations. Mm-hmm. I, totally agree. Don, did you watch fight? I did. What'd you think? I thought it was a great fight. Um, I, I disagree with the decision. I think most of us did. The overall decision or the unanimous decision? Both. I mean, that it was unanimous, I mean, that's one thing. But the fact is, I mean, even if you were to come out of that and say that it was a tie, at the end of the day, tie goes to the runner. In my opinion, the runner is Pac-Man. Well, it's not even just that it was a unanimous decision. It's one two, two of the judges had it 115-113. I could buy that. I thought that early on in the fight there was some homerism going on on behalf of the broadcast crew, which was interesting because Teddy Atlas and I, I don't know, were necessarily watching the same fight. Um, no disrespect to Teddy Atlas. He's an American treasure. But – he seemed to give a little bit too much credit for the jab 
of Pacquiao. Pacquiao's 38. Trent, do you have any idea when the last time Manny, Manny Pacquiao knocked anybody out was? Uh, 2009. 2009. Yep. It's been eight years and a lot of fights since then. Pacquiao peppering you with those little BBs, you know, I, I don't know that there's a great deal of value in there. Horn continued to come ahead, and yes, he punched wildly. The the interest the, the punch stats have been what everybody's come out there and said, well, Pacquiao outpunched him almost two to one. Well, cool. Half of that came in the ninth round. And that's one round. It's a 12-round boxing match. And whether you like the way it's scored or not, that's how it's scored. Horn, I thought, picked up a lot more rounds early than Teddy Atlas and the crew gave him credit for. And in the end, yeah, I was a little surprised by the decision, but I wasn't shocked. And my phone exploded. I know you were on Twitter. I was I was checking you out, Trent. Twitter just went crazy, and hey, there were memes and everything else. I know What's you don't up? think I'm on t- uh, You're not. Twitter, but Aaron Rodgers Aaron Rodgers tweeted, "Boxing is a joke. It proves it again tonight." Are you kidding me with those scorecards? Cards. Hashtag joke. Hashtag rigged. So my boy sent me that tweet, Aaron Rodgers. So. You have you have people who I guess are critical sports figures going, man. Boxing is just weak, man. I can I guess it was a good fight, but when you get results that are the unanimous decision with the third, the differential in that scorecard, it makes it feel like, well, what are we really watching here? Are we all watching the same thing? And uh, no, I didn't watch the whole fight like you guys did, but I did watch a step by step breakdown of the fight. It's just you can't justify. The distance on that one scorecard, I think he would. would no, you say it was no, like, no, no, no. I, I don't know what they could possibly be watching. But you kind of have to. It throw wasn't that a six-point win. Means- it wasn't. A, it wasn't a six-point win for Horn. And and the one seventeen one eleven card actually gave Pacquiao a ten eight round in the ninth. <laughs> so I mean, basically, they gave the the fight to Jeff Horn ten rounds to two. No, no, sir. That definitely wasn't what I saw. But here's the thing. Sort of like with the talking heads in the news, I don't need an interpretation of what I'm seeing in sports. I've been a boxing fan for all my life. I know what I was watching. And yeah, when I looked at it, I was like, "Eh, I don't know that I'm down with this decision, but I wasn't, you know, going crazy about it. Teddy Atlas lost his mind. And that meltdown was actually kind of funny. Went all Stephen A. Smith, and then they cut. And I realized, and I was really internally, I was like, ESPN, good for you. You guys have gotten this right. And then they cut to the studio, and who's there to give yeah, post-fight analysis day. but Stephen A. freaking Smith. Uh, I, how does this dude – oh, my God. Kyle Corver, cancel, cancel, my, cancel my doggone offer to be your agent. You need to get Stephen A. Smith's agent on the phone because <laughs> that dude will get you a max deal somewhere. So just, you, know, you, the, you said rigged with the ESPN thing in the fight. Here's here's I'll make an observation for you, and I'm not I'm not going all conspiracy theory, but Aaron Rodgers and folks like that were out on social media. Well, this is bad for boxing. Boxing's a joke, really, really. Yeah, really. Yeah. When was the last time we talked about boxing on this show? Never. Yeah, I mean, but when you, all you got is a 38-year-old Pacquiao who said he wanted to fight with Mayweather, May, and then he gets beat by some dude named Horn. That's what you got? Well, That's your product? I bet you one thing. I bet you that the rematch 
I bet I'll be tuned in for that to see Pacquiao fight Horn again. And oh, I'm going to tell you, you didn't I'll watch save the fight. I'll boxing dollars I, for the one million dollars. That's the whole point. It was on free television on ESPN. It's the first, you know, legit fight. It's been on free TV and forever. Um, it was a little interesting having commercials there because I do most of mine on HBO and Showtime. But that's the whole thing. Brandon, it was an unbelievably entertaining fight. Yeah. And another thing that Teddy Atlas and those folks aren't taking into account the judges are ringside, so they're not privy to the replays. They're not privy to the commentary. The camera and, angles. And Manny Pacquiao, Brandon, was a bloody <laughs> mess through most of this fight. In retrospect, after it happened, both of the cuts that Pacquiao sustained were said to have been from headbutts. That doesn't take away the psychology with the judges sitting ringside who don't have monitors, who aren't in the ear, you know, they don't have the commentators in their ear, and they're looking at Pacquiao with blood streaming down his face, looking like something out of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That influences the scoring. So let's and go, nobody's taking that into account. Go ahead. So let's go back to uh, Rogers and even uh, at real Donald Trump, hashtag fake boxing. <laughs> So, what happens? <laughs> what happens if Pac-Man wins? Is there a rematch? No. Okay. So and who does Pacquiao fight next if he wins? That's right. Nobody. That's right. So therefore, that leads to you you to believe maybe it is rigged. And who was the primary? Who was the primary promoter for this fight? Manny Pacquiao. Just saying. This sets up a rematch. It gets buzz. It makes Pacquiao viable. Pacquiao is going to continue to talk this nonsense. Mayweather, Mayweather. We've seen that, dog. Nobody's going to pay that again. Were you surprised at Pac-Man's reaction once the decision was made? <sighs> yes and no. It was classy, but it was almost a little too classy. Exactly. So, But look knows? at all the athletes tweeting about this. Nobody's coming out and saying great fight. I I'm scrolling through them right now. Just nobody's saying it's a good fight. Everybody's saying it's a joke. We'll see you next week. Check us out on Facebook at From the Cheap Seats SoundCloud. From the Cheap Seats. Have a great day. You're listening to Chris Lambert and Brandon Atkins. You might not love your seats, but you'll love the show. Even your boy Jeremy When I was just a tiny baby, I was stolen from my parents. I was imprisoned in a cramped cage and was touched and photographed completely against my will, solely for somebody's profit. Then I started to grow bigger and they locked me away for life. If you knew that was the life of a tiger cub, would you still pay to pet her? Learn how they're exploited through petting and photo ops at cubabuse.com. Hello, I'm Rob Beckley, lead singer of the band Pillar. I served in the Army Reserve for eight years, and it taught me lessons in teamwork, leadership, and organizational skills that I still use today. Serving part-time in the Army Reserve also offers skill training, money for college, and bonuses up to $20,000. So if you're up to the challenge, talk to your local Army Reserve recruiter today or check us out online at GoArmyReserve.com. You too can be Army strong in the Army Reserve. Everyone deserves a decent place to live. Everyone. Decent shelter is something we all need to thrive. 
Through shelter, we empower. Visit Habitat.org to donate today.